Government bailouts, tax rates and tax incentives, and government support for sports and the arts. These topics are more this week on a special Columbus on the Record, the separation of commerce and state. From the Battelle studio at WOSU at COSI, this is Columbus on the Record. WOSU-TV's weekly analysis of the top stories affecting Central Ohio. Joining Mike Thompson this week, Karen Kassler, Statehouse Bureau Chief for Ohio Public Radio and TV. Doug Buchanan, Managing Editor for Business First Columbus. Bob Clegg, Republican Strategist. And Greg Haas, Democratic Strategist. The First Amendment requires government separate itself from religion. But as the past year has shown us, there is no such legal separation of business and state. Surely they have always been connected, starting with the fact that government prints the money. Businesses also pay taxes and must follow regulations. But over the next half hour, we'll look at government's increasing involvement in private commerce. First, the dirty word of 2009, bailout. Over the past eight months, the federal government has spent hundreds of billions of dollars bailing out banks and automakers. Bob Clegg, did government have any choice when this all started last fall, actually in 2008? Sure, they had a choice. Um, they chose to inject government money to try to what they thought they needed to do to save um, uh, investment firms that were shaky and banks that were shaky at that time. Um, I happen to disagree with what they decided to do, but that's, you know, that's, that's, they, they made that choice. The only problem was when they made that choice, they started going down a road that, that they're having a hard time getting off of. And, and that initial bailout that occurred uh, last fall has now snowballed into more and more banks getting bailed out, more and more um, agencies like Freddie Mac, Fannie Mae, and then obviously the, the, the big ones that have been bailed out is Chrysler and, and GM. And I'm afraid that uh, this is a road with no end to it. The argument was these companies were, banks in particular, were too big to fail. If they failed, it would have a snowball effect in that the economy would collapse, the financial sector would collapse. When does the government step in? Well, it, it should step in early, and that's the problem. I mean, the, the reason that we got into the situation we did is because government abdicated, and it abdicated not just in Republican administrations, but in Democrat and Republican administrations. Both parties have culpability in, in, in that fact. I, I would agree with Bob. I hate the idea, and what we've, what we've done in many cases is we've kind of socialized risk and, and yet maintained you know, the free market in terms of uh, profit. Um, and that's, that's not the way things should operate. But the problem is ultimately the decision that both Democrats and Republicans were faced with in Congress last year um, was a crisis of epic proportions, a crisis of which we have really not felt what we could have felt uh, had we let the banks fall, had we let the confidence decline, had we let things go for, for a long way. You know, the, the, the word bailout, I, there's so much mis, misnomer in, 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 in all of this. And I think that, you know, if we look at what happened with Chrysler 25 years ago with Lee Iacocca, and uh, we had, you know, uh, the government stepped in, helped uh, Chrysler, got its money back with, with interest, and, and, and uh, had, a, had a decent run there for a while. Obviously, uh, we want better and, and we want a, a, a role. And, you know, important thing about this is, you know, if you're a developer and you go to a bank because you want to build a subdivision or whatever, they're going to put stipulations on that money before they give it to you. Yeah. They may not be developers and they may not know how to develop, but they have a long-term view about that money. The government, when it's providing money, has that same responsibility. It has to look out for the taxpayer over the long haul, and it has to put in its 
uh, uh, requirements and, and, and its regulation in terms of how that money's spent. But Doug, the strings are attached, as Greg was alluding to. They're, they're imposed by the government. Some are uncomfortable with the government saying, I'm going to run, help run an auto, automaker, or at least be an owner of an automaker. Right. I mean, I think that the, the key is how quickly are we going to get out of this so that uh, the, the strings can then be uh, cut and uh, these companies can go back to the market, which I think most people would have preferred to see back in the fall. You know, I think the only question is you asked, you know, did we have a choice? I don't think we're ever really going to know the, the final answer to that question. But uh, I think uh, if all things being equal, you know, we should have allowed the market to come in and try to help out these firms uh, before uh, you know, the, the government stepped in. I think they stepped in a little bit too quickly, but that's a matter of, uh, you know, of intense debate. But I think you have a situation where people want the government to do something, but they are suspicious when the government does something. And so I think you, you've got two sides of this that we're trying to struggle with now. How much do we want the government to do, and when do we want them to step out? When do we want them to step in? Early? Late? When, what do we want the government to do? The whole argument of moral hazard. A company will not do something risky if it fears it will fail. The government bailout eliminates that moral hazard to some degree. Yeah, to I, some degree. I mean, I don't, I don't think it eliminates it. Uh, I mean, these these companies still failed. I mean, the the people who ran them are still failures. They were still humiliated. <laughs> yeah. uh, so to you know to say that this just because the government supplied the money to prop them up instead of uh, a debtor in bankruptcy court or you know some other mechanism that we have, I don't think eliminates moral hazard. I think the problem with moral hazard is, first of all, and if you look at what was going on, if you look at what the rating agencies were doing in terms of packaging these mortgages, and uh, there was a lot of, uh, I don't know that the word moral ha hazard actually applied to the way that these companies were run at that point. There was clearly a recognition that they had a problem. They knew for a long time that they had a problem. Uh, and, and, and they complicated the problem by, uh, by adding to it. And that's one of the problems with the whole market economy is that when, when profit and, and immediate returns are the, are the driving force, uh, there is a tendency to worry about that bottom line today and not worry about next year. And as, as taxpayers, and, I, and that's what the government represents, it's the long haul that's important. But isn't in a way the market correcting itself right now? I mean, they, they, for years, profit was number one and short-term gains was number one, but then it, it bit them in the behind, and now you, we're probably in a period of more conservative investing, more conser less risk-taking on the part of banks. But you still have the, what Greg was just talking about, the day-in and day-out of the stock value and, and how, you know, I mean, the, things are changing so fast and, and nobody sees the long-term. Everybody sees at the end of the day, what did the Dow do? Uh, you know, where was my portfolio today versus yesterday? Not where was my portfolio a year ago, 10 years ago, or whatever. And I think when we start getting to the point where we start valuing things longer term and thinking of decisions that are going to be made in terms of a five-year or ten-year window instead of a five-day window, right. depending on yeah. what you see on the cable news networks yeah. and that sort of thing. What what worries me about these bailouts is that the government comes in and and they put like a Band-Aid on the patient where the patient has got such systemic problems they should probably be having open-heart surgery. And I'm afraid we come in with all this influx of cash for both Chrysler and GM and it's really not getting to what the real problem that they're having and that's the way they're 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 currently operating and have been operating, and a lot of that hasn't been changed. But GM will look much different after this bankruptcy than it, than it has. I mean, it's selling off brands. It's 
streamlining its its down to like four or five brands and things like that. I agree with Bob though in terms of the Band-Aid. I'd actually use an analogy maybe sticking their finger in the in the dike a little bit more than that. And, and, and before the government stepped in to do it, nobody was and the dike was on the verge of breaking. But the, the uh, you know, to go back to this point, you know, it was a fascinating interview yesterday I thought with uh, Mr. Davis, the CEO of U.S. Bank, um, and, and, and really basically endorsing uh, the, the Obama regulations. And as you listen to him talk, you know, I mean, I probably would have whitewashed all these guys' failures too, but if you listen to this, to this guy talk, and you know, he's in a competitive market, he's competing with the other banks, mm -hmm. there's a complete lack of clarity in terms of the regulation, there's a complete lack of certainty in terms of who's in charge of what and who's doing what, uh, and, and he's competing with these other banks, driven, you know, um, um, by competition, uh, um, and, and really was very relieved by the Obama proposals, um, and with, with the exception of you know, the, the Consumer Council, uh, which obviously the devil's in the details of that. He even admitted, you know, I'm not sure what it means at this point, but, but basically you know, uh, endorsed the proposals because one of the biggest problems, in, in addition to kind of the lower common denominator always pulling these things down countrywide and the pressure that mm -hmm. they put on a lot of the other uh, institutions. Uh, the, the, uh, you know, the, the clarity and, and the rules actually help a lot of these businesses in the long run and help a lot of them, the, 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 the ones that want to do the right thing and avoid the hazard of, 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 of reckless, uh, recklessness. Okay, our next topic, at some point, businesses will repay the bailout money or the government will write it off, but we'll always have taxes. Government, governments have long used tax policy to attract and encourage businesses. In 1773, to help the failing East India Tea Company, the British Parliament lifted the tax on tea sold in the colonies. That eventually led to the Boston Tea Party, a couple steps later, the American Revolution. We'll get to tax incentives and inducements in a moment, but let's first look at overall tax rates. Karen Kessler, the perpetual argument down at the Statehouse is that Ohio's tax structure hurts Ohio's economy, or helps Ohio's economy. Is that argument changed over the years? I think you're going to hear a lot more about that argument as we approach the 2010 election because you've got a candidate for governor who wants to eliminate state income tax. And that argument's come up several times that if we get rid of the state income tax, we will be able to compete with states like Florida and Texas where they don't have income taxes. They also have better weather and coastlines and other things like yeah. that, but yeah, you know. Um, Hurricanes. Yeah, well, there is that too. But um, that's, that's the real question. Now, you know, some people will say, well, hey, we cut income taxes by 21% starting in 2005, phased it in from Governor Bob Taft's proposal, and what has happened since then? We still were in this huge budget mess, you know, that started at the beginning of the year, and we're losing jobs and all that sort of thing. So really, do tax cuts really help? And that that's... They're both sides. Some people say they do. Some people say they don't. Some people say raising taxes at this point would be a terrible idea. I think most people agree with that one. And no, it's certainly some that don't. well. <laughs> I know. I know. Don't. Anybody who's running for office next year thinks it's a bad idea. At least publicly. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Doug, you cover business. How 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 big of a factor is the the tax rate of an area on a business's decision to I mean, locate I, there? I, I do think it is a big factor, but it is one of many factors. Uh, I think when you looked at what happened with NCR. Uh, they were dead set on leaving, and we'll know the reasons for that at some point. But uh, I, you know, I think taxes wasn't really a big decision for them. Um, and, and I also thought it was interesting that NCR's CEO apparently didn't quite understand what Ohio's tax situation was. He was still citing some old numbers from, uh, from before the 2005 tax cut. He didn't live cut. here, though, did he? 
He didn't yeah, live here, yeah. so maybe that, maybe yeah, that could mean, have been a reason why he didn't know. I right. Yeah. I mean, plainly, he's, you know, he, in defending his decision to leave, he said we looked at 10, 15 different factors, ranked them all, and taxes was one of them. But uh, I, I, I get the feeling he didn't look very hard at that one. <laughs> uh, so there were plainly many, many other uh, you know, factors to them wanting to leave. And I think that's generally the case. Um, the Tax Foundation, a conservative group, ha says Ohio has the fourth worst tax climate in the country in which to do business. The, stations, uh, the states that are worse than Ohio, New Jersey, California, and uh, New York. Wyoming is number one. So why isn't everyone moving to Wyoming <laughs> if they have the best tax climate? Because like Karen said, it's one of many factors. The big problem we have here in Ohio is we don't have the weather. We don't have a lot of oh, these other on. things. We don't have a lot we of these things. All the time. Yeah, I know. <laughs> we don't have a lot of these other things that these other states have, so we have to rely on things like making sure we have the very best tax structure we can have because we're going to have to overcome all those other things. So that's where I think Ohio has to go above and beyond what maybe a lot of these other states have to do to try to attract uh, businesses here, and they can really do that, uh, I think, pretty heavily by looking at the whole tax structure. Well, I, I, I have my Buckeye chauvinism here or whatever. I mean, uh, I, I think we do have a lot. And I think that we undersell ourselves, and we've got this, you know, fantastic education system, higher education system um, that that we need to continue to fund, and we need to continue to take advantage of. We have incredible location, um, you know, you know, 60% uh, of the population is within 500 miles of us. I mean, we've got a lot of things to offer as a state, and and I think that that when it comes to what we look at. And, and, and how we're going to attract jobs, I think we've got to figure out better ways to take advantage and leverage the things that we've got and, and, and kind of stop with it kind of, you know, pondering our belly button as a state and, 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 and be, you know, take a little bit more pride in what we have, be more assertive and be more Ohio-centric because I really believe that, that, you know, the way out of this has a lot to do with attitude. It has a lot to do with, you know, the people when the CEO of NCR were coming in and, and, and no doubt he was hearing a lot of negative Ohio stuff from Ohio people, you know, and, and we really have to get past that. Um, one, one thing I've heard too, uh, the idea of regionalism may help in terms of stopping communities from competing against one another to try to get a business or an enterprise to move there as opposed to, you know, two counties over or whatever. And so maybe that might be something that, uh, it's certainly something people are talking about. Go ahead, Doc. I, I mean, I want to get further on a point that, that he made about the higher education system as being one of the, the of, of Ohio's strengths. I mean, you have to remember, I think people, a lot of people may have forgotten when NetJets decided to stay here in Columbus. Right. Uh, certainly, there was a huge tax number attached to it, a huge incentive number, but uh, one of the things that they did was they were working with Eric Fingerhut and the governor on a series of uh, proposals for improving the workforce and uh, and for you know funneling uh, some of these graduates of, Ohio, of Ohio's many colleges into uh, net debt jobs and raising the level there. And I think that you know if we're looking at again the spectrum of things that 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 uh, lead a company to locate somewhere, uh, higher education is uh, is equally important. Absolutely. From tax rates to tax incentives, tax abatements, infrastructure improvements, there are many tools a state or a local community can use to land a big company and all of its workers. This summer, as Doug mentioned, Georgia outbid Ohio and lured NCR away from Dayton, but Ohio and Columbus beat out other areas to attract 1,100 J.P. Morgan Chase jobs to Polaris. We talked about tax rates. How much do tax incentives 
property tax abatements, infrastructure improvements play in a business's role, decision-making role? Again, I think it, it plays a role. Uh, I don't think it's, it's the overarching role. I mean, I think especially when you're talking about tax abatements, and especially what you were talking about a second ago, when they're within a region and they're just shopping around, I think at that point uh, it's it's just the communities are scared not to offer the, the tax exactly. abatements. I think exactly. if if they took a hard line and if everybody took a hard line on it, it would disappear as a as an as an inducement, uh, you know, for companies to move. Will that day ever come? Where companies, uh, where com communities take a hard the line. The problem is nobody wants to be in charge when those jobs leave, yeah. and any office holder, uh, you know, is going to fight like crazy to try to keep or get more jobs because they don't want to be looked at as a job loser. Well, and, and there's also ego involved in all of it too. I mean, if you're an elected official, I mean, in the end, you know, would uh, would the Chase banks, uh, you know, would they have located here without the incentives? I mean, I, I don't know. I have, have no idea. Obviously, uh, it was viewed as important to do, but it's kind of, with all of this, whenever you're locating jobs, you have to do everything you can conceivably do to make sure that you land them. The last thing you want to do, if somebody's looking at locating jobs here, is get into something that may not be in their top 10, but they know you can do, mm -hmm. uh, and insult them, you know? I mean, mm -hmm. I mean, you're, you're luring, you're, you're courting somebody to locate, and, and, and you've got to be smart, and you've got to be polite, and, and sometimes you've got to, you know, um, uh, you know, at some point, again, this gets back to kind of uh, what Karen was alluding to in terms of regionalism, and, and, and in terms of, and, and maybe some, and to some degree, it's a national issue as well about the way in which we avoid and we can get away from these bidding wars that are taking place um, that, that in the end, sh you know, maybe, maybe uh, they, they short the taxpayer um, in, in one area in, in, in the pursuit of the economic development in another. I mean, I think in the, in the end it's an, it's an expensive way to make a cheap point, which is that you're business friendly. You're willing to do right. whatever it takes, and this just happens to be the one that kind of grabs the headlines and grabs the attention. Right. Uh, but there's got to be, you know, a whole range of other ways to make that exact same point. Right. Yeah, NCR spent two years trying to lure, not, not Atlanta and yeah. Georgia spent two years trying to lure NCR down there. I mean, they, did, they talked about their workforce development. They talked about the airport and the... the the tax incentives are sort of icing on the cake, mm -hmm. so you could argue they probably would have moved there anyway had they not got the tax incentives. Yeah, um, I think they would, but I think the CEO would. Uh, yeah. Whenever we write stories about companies moving, we always ask this question, what kind of tax incentives did you get? Yes. And every once in a while, you get a company that says, no, we didn't ask for any. And I mean, it's like <laughs> man bites dog. <laughs> 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 Why didn't they ask for it? <laughs> I guess yeah, that's the next question. Yeah, I mean, and so, uh, so I, yeah, I think the NCR CEO, if he, you know, even if he was dead set on moving to Atlanta, he wasn't going to let them know that because he would look foolish if he didn't just take a grab bag of, uh, you know, millions of dollars in tax credit. But there are some companies that that is a top priority, like maybe NetJets, who didn't feel they were being uh, courted strongly enough. Right, but I mean, that was, they didn't feel like they were being courted. I mean, it, it, And they got a nice tax break out of it? Right, but yeah. again, that was one thing. Okay. Uh, you know, all they they wanted to feel loved, and they certainly felt tax loved. Tax breaks do it. Intrastate competition. When Columbus battles New Albany or Hilliard or Grandview for a business development, it really state to state, you can almost justify it because mm -hmm. it's different taxes and people don't work out of state that often unless you're on the border. But people live in Columbus and work in Grandview and vice versa. Is this a healthy competition for cities and towns to be doing this? Mike, what I don't, that is, that's a, that's a competition I kind of understand. What I really don't understand is the, 
the competition that occurs within a city, like when Huntington was moved from the Crosswoods area in Columbus down to Northland, and all the money that city money that was involved in that, I don't quite understand what's going on when you're doing it within the same, you know, municipality and an area. I can understand, you know, Grandview or New Albany wanting those cities or wanting those jobs from from Columbus because it's it's more tax revenue. But I don't quite understand when it's within the city. Well, I think there's an argument that you've got to create synergy in certain areas. In certain areas of town are in trouble. I mean, uh, or struggling that that those areas become priorities. And then it hurts and the it's, other it's, areas. It's, it's, well, but you know, it's like if if the other area is is relatively strong in comparison and and. and and, and, wasn't because they, uh, they took well, a big hit on they, that. They did, but but Northland is was was absolutely. First of all, if you look geographically at Northland, it's huge, and and actually it's more the center of Columbus. Columbus is so big, uh, and you know if you look at it on a map, it's very close to the center of Columbus almost. Um, uh, we don't ever think of it that way, uh, and it, it's a gigantic area, it, it, and absolutely on the edge. Absolutely on the brink, and but so the I think the number of businesses up in Crosswoods, like restaurants, that have closed since they did that move. I mean, that doesn't help them any. Yeah. Right. With all the governments and uh, townships and villages and municipalities and everything we have in the state, this is inevitable. You're going to have communities competing against one another and using taxpayer dollars to do it to try to lure businesses even just across town or across different counties. And so you have some parts of the state, Northeast Ohio, they're talking about you know, trying to bring the region together to compete as a region as opposed to having this community compete against that community in the same region. Okay, let's get to our final topic. It's not just the big corporations that go get government support. Professional sports Sports teams get cities and states to build them stadiums and arenas, arts and cultural institutions like museums, theaters, and even public broadcasters get help from the government. Greg Haas, <laughs> government's pri primary duty is to serve and protect. Uh, should they be getting, getting involved in museums and professional hockey teams and things like, like that? Like uh, COSI. The COSI. And, uh, uh, <laughs> or public media. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, there's a... There's a First of all, you know, it's, it's funny because people always say, I want government to operate more like a business. Well, you know, if, 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 if you're doing things that produce income, if you're doing things that produce money, if you're doing things that, that are uh, of marketing value for your community, if they're of an education value to your community. I mean, I, I was struck as I walked in here today by the, by the crowds of kids that are, that, that are in COSI and, of course, it's as we joked earlier, it's the first week of summer, and yeah. but but it, you know it's like seeing that and, and watching that really work. It does not work, you know. Kosai is not here. Kosai is not at the level it is without an involvement, without an infusion of, of both public and private dollars. Uh, this you know public television doesn't work without a, uh, uh, both public and private dollars, and 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 so it's you know it's inspiring, uh, and 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 it has a very important role. Now. You know, when it gets to, um, you know, there, but there's certainly a line, and, and and I personally believe that the the Blue Jackets crossed that line uh, um, with, with the, the the proposal that the that, that didn't fly, that didn't fly. I mean, in the end, I mean, the Blue Jackets are very important to Columbus, and and obviously the city and the and the and the county and the community need to figure out ways to keep them here. But uh, it, it's certainly not through a, a sin tax. It's certainly not through any kind of additional taxation. Well, what if what if cultural organizations? The voters rejected a COSI levy. Um, the Columbus Symphony was near bankruptcy. Um, what if the cult, what if the cultural organizations don't run their organizations well or make poor business decisions? Should government then step in? 
I think it's I think it's tough for government to step in on and w when something's being run badly. But then again, we just talked about all these businesses <laughs> being run badly yeah, and the man. government uh, stepped in. I think the problem we have here is it's a great idea when when things are going well economically. I think when things are bad economically, as it currently is, and that's why I think the blue jacket thing went went away so quickly. Uh, people just are not going to put up with their taxpayer dollars being used on those kinds of of um, you know not necessary things. Well, I think too that people don't necessarily have a price value on arts and cultural things and, and you know, how much would you pay for this if you had to buy this out in the market yeah. and I think you know when it's free when it comes into your house for free on TV you know it's easy to just take advantage of it and and not really consider that there's a price to it and so I think as a as taxpayers we have to think to ourselves what is the value to COSI to me if I had to pay and there was no subsidy mm -hmm. would I pay twenty dollars would I pay forty dollars to get in here it's time now for our weekly off-the-record comments from our panel. Final thoughts, predictions about the future of government involvement in capitalism. Karen Kessler, you're first. Well, I had the opportunity to interview Jim Cramer from CNBC earlier this year. It was terrifying because, <laughs> well, you've all seen him. Uh, but I, one thing that really struck me in talking to him is I think that we in the media need to be more, pay more attention. I mean, that man can, can move markets with his words, and there are people that appear on his show and appear in all sorts of financial media who can say things that move the markets. And I think we have to, and, and anybody who invests, anybody who is interested in finances needs to ask more questions so we can keep track of what's going on. Doug. I, I think we are living in interesting times, as the Chinese say, and they don't even, they don't mean that well. Um, uh, ben Bernanke, student of the Great Depression, I think that the times we are living in right now are so momentous that uh, in 70 years I would not be surprised if a future Fed chairman did his you know, dissertation on what exactly is happening right now, so it's imperative to pay attention. Okay, Bob. I think that bailouts are going to become uh, very unpopular politically. A Rasmussen national poll that just came out showed 80% of the people want us to get out of our ownership of Chrysler and GM as soon as possible. Okay, and Greg. Um, I'm going to quote my uh, accountant today who scared me. Uh, Kevin Mahan is his name, and he uh, talked about the bond market and, and, and interest rates, and I was kind of quizzing him about the interest rates a little bit and why, why they've been creeping back up. And, and his prediction, which has been dead on, he's been great, is, is very much that the bond market is the next big crisis and, and that, that we're, we've got big problems uh, in, on that front. Well, hopefully not. That is Columbus on the Record for this week. You can continue the conversation at our website, wosu.org slash C-O-T-R. Our question, should the government bail out anyone else? For our crew here at WOSU, head co Greg's first in line. <laughs> and for our panel, I'm Mike Thompson. Have a good week. <laughs> <laughs>